0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey, hey, now you can see me. I'm here. How are we doing? Yes, happy December. It's so great to have you with us. And those of you who are joining us online, it's great to have you with us as well. Just want to remind you that at the end of the sermon today, we're going to be taking communion together. And so if you didn't get a chance to grab one of these on your way in, they're available on the table right outside the doors. And For those of you online, you may want to try and grab something in order to have elements ready as we take the Lord's Supper together at the end of the sermon. Uh, Last week at the 9 o'clock service, I wore a very dark sweater and some of you texted pictures to me of me teaching uh, and it just looked like my head was up here floating around. Dark sweater against dark background, disembodied head giving all of the teaching and so I've gone with a lighter color today so as not to freak out any kids that are watching at home who may be having nightmares about floating disembodied heads in their dreams. So uh, we hopefully can get rid of that this day. So excited about our Christmas series, which is called Light to You, normally in December. As we spend time looking at Christmas, we spend time in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. Those are the traditional Christmas passages where we're able to look at Christmas through the lens of the details. Uh, Details like angelic visits to Mary and Joseph. Details like a trip to Bethlehem. Details like there being no room for them in the inn. Details like a manger serving as a first crib. Matthew and Luke help us to see the trees in the Christmas story. Well, This year, during December, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story through the gospel of John. John was perhaps the closest person to Jesus during Jesus' time here on earth. We see at the Last Supper, it's John who has the seat of honor next to Jesus, and it's John who refers to himself in his own gospel over and over again as the one that Jesus loved. He seems to have had a very special relationship with Jesus but when he begins his gospel in John chapter 1 he views Jesus coming to earth from 30,000 feet. He looks not at the trees of the story of Christmas but at the whole forest. And he wants us to understand who Jesus is and why he came here. And so I want to invite you to open to John chapter 1 with me and your Bible or on your device. And we're going to look at the first five verses of John chapter 1, at the big picture of who Jesus is and why he came to earth. That passage starts with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Light to you. As we read that passage... It may be clear upon a quick reading that verses 1 through 3 deal with who Jesus is and Jesus' identity, and then verses 4 and 5 talk about why Jesus came to earth to bring light to a dark world. And next week, Pastor Kenny is going to be here, and he's going to unpack verses 4 and 5 and what it means that Jesus is light to the world for us. But today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Who is Jesus? What is his identity? Earlier this week, I was checking out at the grocery store. And there, between Soap Opera Digest and the National Enquirer, my my two magazines that I usually grab off of that checkout stand, (laughs) was a Life magazine that had this cover on it, still up at the checkout stands. It's a picture of Jesus with the phrase, who do you say that I am? And every Christmas, one of the major magazines, Life, Time, Newsweek, somebody has a magazine cover that looks like this uh, with a picture of Jesus and something about getting to know the real Jesus or who Jesus really was. Because even in the world, people are interested in who Jesus was and what his identity was. In a magazine, a Time magazine story from... Two years ago, we read this. How is Jesus to be understood? Did he stride out of the wilderness 2,000 years ago to preach a gentle message of peace and brotherhood? Or did he perhaps advocate some form of revolution? When did he realize his mission would end on a cross? Did he ever really view himself as a savior or a king? What are these articles asking that we see there at the checkout counter every Christmas? They're asking, who is the real Jesus? And they're usually asking it from a non-Christian perspective. But even in the world, there's some appetite, or they wouldn't keep making these covers, for an understanding of Jesus' identity. Now, we gather here today as Jesus' people. There's nothing more important in the world than Jesus' identity to us. It's of interest to the world, but for us, there's no greater question than who is Jesus. And his identity is so vitally important to us as his people. And John chapter 1 says, Jesus is the Word. Now, how do we know that it's Jesus that's being talked about in those first few verses of John? We read the first five verses and Jesus' name didn't come up anywhere there, right? So how do we know that it's Jesus that is the word in those first few verses? The answer to that comes later in John chapter 1 and really throughout the entire book of John. Who is the gospel of John about? It's about Jesus. And later in that chapter, we read, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This whole chapter, the whole book is about Jesus, and he is the word who became flesh, and he is the word of those first few verses, which invites a natural next question. What is that? Why is John, perhaps Jesus' best friend here on the earth, referring to his friend Jesus as the word when he talks about him in John chapter 1? Why is Jesus calling him the Word? There's perhaps a few different answers for that question, but I think one of the keys is this. Jesus is called the Word because Jesus is the ultimate communication between God and humanity. Our words are our tools to communicate with each other. We communicate in relationship through our words. Last night, I wanted to help my son understand what the schedule was going to look like this morning. I need you to get up at this time. While your dad is studying, I need you to watch the dog. We're going to leave at this time. We're going to the first service. You're going to leave the 9 o'clock service at the end, and you're going to go home and let the dog out. Mom and I are going to bring lunch to you when we're done with the second service. All of this was communicated with words. Can you imagine what that would have been like if I had to try and communicate that without any words? Right? You think family communication is hard now. Try it without any words whatsoever. Communication is how we communicate with each other in relationship. It's also how we communicate about who we are. When I came to Friendship Church, I was asked to tell people about who I am, and I communicated that orally and in writing through words. Can you imagine what that process would have been like to let you know about who I am without any words involved? I'm picturing this long and horrible game of charades. Right? Has 4,324 words. First word. You ready? Right? Can you imagine? That would have been awful. Our words are the way that we communicate with each other and communicate about who we are. And Jesus is the ultimate communication about who God is and how we can have relationship with him. He is the word. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. In the past God spoke. He gave word to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Before Jesus God spoke occasionally. He gave word occasionally through the prophets. But now, through His Son, He has given the word. He has spoken in a way that is far superior to any way that He has spoken before. Jesus is the clear and ultimate communication about who God is and His relationship to people. Jesus is the word. And so what do we know about the word from these first three verses in John chapter 1? Well, first, we know that Jesus is before creation. What are the first few words of John chapter 1? In the beginning. Those words sound familiar? Do we read them anywhere else in Scripture? Absolutely we do, right? In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 is meant to draw our minds back to Genesis chapter 1 so that we understand the word was there in the beginning before anything was made. Jesus affirms this as he's talking to the Father in John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before anything existed, Jesus was before all of creation. We're going to come back to that point in just a minute when we look at verse 3. But let's jump to the second point that we see here, and that is Jesus is God. It makes sense that he was before creation. If he is God, since God is eternal, of course he was before creation. The word was God. As we have said over and over again in here, one of the primary things that we are to understand when we read the phrase "Son of God," as Jesus applies it to himself and as others apply it to him, is that He is God. The Father and the son share the same nature. It is the most important thing that a father and son share is their nature. I, I have a son, and he and I share a lot of things. Uh, we share a love for buffalo wings. We share a desire to play really bad basketball against each other. Uh, We share having blue eyes. We share a lot of things, but none of those things are important compared to the main thing that we share, and that's our nature. As a father and son, we share our humanity. We are both human beings. As I have mentioned to you a couple of times in the last couple of months, this fall, we got a little puppy a little fluff ball named Willow. That puppy is very spoiled in our house, but it is not my child. It is my pet. I'm kind of affirming that for myself. It is not my child. It is my pet. We do not share the same nature. As spoiled as that dog is, we don't share the same nature. I am a human being. Willow is a pain. I mean, a canine, right? (laughs) We don't share that same nature with one another. My son and I, we share that same nature. And when we read that phrase over and over again, Son of God, what we are to understand is shared nature as the Father is divine, infinite, eternal God. So the Son is divine, infinite, eternal God. They share that nature. And because the Word is God, He perfectly represents God to us. Colossians 1.15 that Jason read earlier starts, he is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word translated image there is the Greek word icon. It's the word that Jesus uses when he holds up a coin in Jerusalem. And he says, whose icon is on this? Whose image is on this? And the answer in Jerusalem was, Caesar's image is on that. What's the purpose of the image? It helps us know what Caesar looked like. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards. They had images on them. What were those images meant to do? To help me understand what those baseball players looked like. And Jesus perfectly helps us know what God is like. Not what God looks like physically, God is spirit but he is the perfect image that reveals God to us. So if you want to know how angry God gets about sin, look at Jesus as he casts people out of the temple because they have turned his father's house of prayer into a den of robbers. You want to know how angry God is about sin? Look at Jesus express his anger towards the Pharisees as they care more about their human traditions than they do about people. You want to know about the mercy and forgiveness of God? Look at Jesus interact with the most hated and sinful man in the region, a man named Zacchaeus, and express mercy and forgiveness towards him and his household. Look at Jesus interact with that woman by the well who had been married five times, was working on husband number six, and in her conversation with Jesus, tried to hide all of that from him. And yet Jesus expresses mercy and forgiveness towards that woman. Look at Jesus as he hangs on the cross and says about those who put him there, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We want to know what God is like. Where do we look? We look to Jesus who is God and perfectly represents the character of God to us. Starting January 1st, we're going to invite anyone who's willing to join us to read through the Gospels in 90 days. There's about 90 days between New Year's Day and Easter. And during that time, we're going to invite anybody here at Friendship Church to read through all four Gospels with us. We're going to have notebooks you can take that can help you journal during that time. And the plan is online if you want to share that reading time with others. And over the course of those 90 days, every day our reading is going to be filled with the person of Jesus. And what are we going to see there? we're going to perfectly see the character of God represented there as we read about our King and our Savior. Because Jesus is God. But I don't know if you caught this in John chapter 1. Not only is Jesus God, but the passage says Jesus was what? With God. Right? Not only is Jesus God, but somehow Jesus was with God. How is it possible that Jesus is God and he is with God? If my wife and I are eating lunch today, I, I am Matt and I'm with Erica. And, and those different persons are sitting in different seats. But, but I can't be Matt and be with Matt in that other seat. Erica can't be Erica and be with Erica. How is it that, God, uh, that Jesus is God and was with God? The answer, of course, is in that central and very important doctrine of the Trinity. Represented imperfectly, but represented by the diagram up on that, oops, sorry, up on the screen, where we see what the Bible teaches is that God is one. He's one God, not three gods, one God, but eternally existent in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what the diagram represents for us is that the Father is God and the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is distinct from the Son. And the Spirit is distinct from the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and yet one God. And the Trinity is essential if we believe in a loving God. Do you believe in a loving God? Right? The Trinity is essential for that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is love. Well, well, if God wasn't Trinity, let's say that God is just Father and there is no Son and Holy Spirit. Throughout all of eternity past, an infinite amount of time into the past, who exactly was God loving all of that time? And can you even be God if you can't express your primary attribute throughout all of the infinite past? The Trinity is essential to God being a God of love. It's only within the Trinity that God can fully express His love within Himself throughout all of eternity past so that forever in the past, God the Father has been perfectly able to express His love for God the Son. And God the Son is able to receive that love. And the Holy Spirit is able to observe that love between Father and Son. All three of those key aspects of love, giving, receiving, and observing, are able to be participated in within the Trinity. The Spirit loves the Father. The Father receives that love. And the Son has an opportunity to experience the amazing joy of observing that love between the two He loves most. This directly informs our understanding of why God made us, right? God made us so that we could enter into this amazing dance of love that exists within His nature. So God has made you and He has made me in order to participate in this same relationship of love. So that now... I have an opportunity to express love for God and God receives that love and you have the joy of watching me love my God and God loves you and you receive that love from God and I have the joy of watching God love you well and you love me Mm, some days, right? And I have the joy of receiving that love and God has the joy of experiencing his children love each other well. We've been invited into this unbelievable loving dance that is going on within the Godhead and now we get to be a part of it. That is why he has made us. All of this and so much more that we don't have time to get into today flow out of this idea that God is Trinity and it's what makes John chapter 1 make sense so that the word could both be God and be with God. Amazing that God has invited us into this dance of love. The final thing that we see in John chapter 1 about who Jesus is is He is the one who has made all things. This really works in conjunction with the first point that we made about Him being before all things. Verse 3 says, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The word translated made in the Greek, means to bring into being. Not just to construct something out of materials that already exist, but to actually bring those materials into being. We have a a Christmas set up here. And I'm really thankful for Bill and, and Bruce and Jerry who helped to put that Christmas set together. They constructed it out of materials that already exist. Bill did not bring those materials into being. Right? He's good, but he's not that good. Only God is that good that he can bring materials into being. And we are told the word Jesus Christ brought all things into being. He made all things. And the Greek word translated here, all things, is actually a little different than the idea of Everything. There's a Greek word that John could have used here that would be translated everything. And so the the idea behind that word for everything might be you standing at the front door of a warehouse of all that has been made. And a tour guide points at everything that has been made and says, look, Jesus made everything. But a better illustration of this word that John chooses for all things is a tour guide who takes you from that front door and begins to walk you through the warehouse and one by one points to each individual item and says, look, Jesus made that, and Jesus made that, and Jesus made that. Billions of times the tour guide tells you Jesus made that because the focus is on each individual thing that Jesus has made. And John goes out of his way in order to help us understand here in verse 3, That Jesus is the maker of all things. He is not someone who was made. Right? Jesus is the maker of all things. He is not someone who is made. There are people who believe that Jesus was made. If you go a couple miles down the road here, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was made by God and then he in turn made everything else. This verse rules that out. All things were made through him. Everything was made through him. And just in case someone later on tries to create this idea that he was made before everything else was made, it says, And without him was not anything made that was made. Not a single individual thing was made that Jesus didn't make. He made everything. So he himself was not a made thing. He is the maker of all things. And what a world he's made, huh? What a world he's made. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do you know the name of the closest star to our solar system here? It's called Alpha Centauri. And do you know how far away it is? It's 25 trillion miles away. I don't know about you, but when people start throwing out numbers like trillions, I'm like, I don't even know what that means, right? What what are you even talking about? So to give us a sense of how far away the closest star is, if you were to take the entire universe and shrink it down so that the earth was the size of a grain of sand, Alpha Centauri in that shrunken universe would still be more than 100 million miles away. It would still be further away than our sun currently is. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. What a magnificent and amazing expanse our God has made. The largest star that we're aware of is called Canis Majoris. And it is so astounding in its size that if you took the universe and you you shrank that universe down, I, I love shrinking the universe... If you were to shrink the universe down so that the earth was the size of a ping, is that about the size of a ping pong ball? Uh, Somewhere in there, the size of a ping pong ball, Canis Majoris would be larger than Mount Everest by comparison to the earth. When you start to talk about how many earths you can fit inside Canis Majoris, you get into the quadrillions, which makes even less sense to us. It is astounding, and yet it is one of billions of stars in the galaxy. Billions of galaxies within the universe. What an astounding creation the Word has made. And the details of what He has made on microbiological levels. You have 10 trillion cells within your body. Again, trillion. What does that even mean? If you take your shoe off, you should feel free to do this. If you take your shoe off and you look at your little toe, there are three billion cells in that little toe. And within each and every one of those cells, there is this astounding complexity that goes far beyond any machine that human beings have ever made or created. There is There are three billion, three billion DNA pairings within every cell that is within your body. And so uh, scientists tell us that if we were to take all of that genetic material that is so tightly coiled within your cell and uncoil it, that there would be enough genetic material in a single cell that it would be over six feet long. Or, Or put another way, if I were to start to read each base pairing of DNA that you have within the, the individual cell within your body at a rate of one pairing per second, it would be over 95 years before I completed that task. And all of that is bound up within each and every individual cell within your body. And who made all of that? Right, the Word made all of that Jesus made all of that. The man sitting on the beach, having fish with his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, made all of that. Jesus is before creation, Jesus is God, Jesus is with God, and Jesus made all things. It can be tempting during the Christmas season. Uh, to want to focus on domesticated and safe images about Christmas. A cute little baby, cuddly little farm animals, astonished but adorable shepherds. John doesn't want you to do that in his gospel. John wants you to be astounded by who the word is that came. Not domesticated in any way, but wild, eternal, Untamed is Jesus. John wants us to understand that the Word is God Almighty. That Jesus is the Lord of hosts. The Word is the great I Am. That Jesus is the creator of all. He is the center of everything that exists. He is the eternal Son in the Trinity. The great provider of all people. He is the perfect image of God because he is the Word, become flesh. And we worship Him this morning because He is worthy. He is worthy. And I want to invite you guys to keep these things in mind about who the Word is, according to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, as we worship Him today by taking the Lord's Supper. I'd invite everybody to take out their communion elements at this time. And we're going to spend some time worshiping the Word become flesh through communion. As we take the bread, we recognize that the bread represents the body of the Word that has been given for us. That the cup represents the blood of the word, the the one who was before creation, the one who is God, who is with God, who has made all things, that he came in the flesh and shed his blood so that we might be forgiven. And we do this in remembrance of him. I want to give you a moment of silence to prepare your hearts right now to take these elements. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to take these elements with us today today. Take a moment and prepare your heart for that. And, child of God, would you take the bread out now of the container? And as we take that bread, it's my privilege to remind you that this represents Jesus' body that was given for you and that he commands us to do this in remembrance of him. And so now, take the bread and eat it all in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, if you would open up the cup... cup represents the sacrifice of the word become flesh on our behalf I invite you to drink this all in remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would you pray with me Jesus as we come to this passage today, we're overwhelmed by who you are, that you are the astounding eternal infinite word who has always existed and yet chose to take on flesh so that you might pay our price and we could experience the forgiveness of God. Lord, what an astounding joy we experience because of what you have done. We celebrate it every day of our life. We celebrate it every week when we come together because of what you have done. We can be a part of the family of God and for that we say thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we sing your praises because you are the one worthy of praise. You are the eternal amazing word in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing praises to Jesus together.